Hey guys, you're listening to episode 44 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we're talking with Jonathan Reynolds, founder and CEO of Titus Talent Strategies. Welcome to the show. My name's Cody, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. We got to chat with Jonathan Reynolds, the founder and CEO of Titus Talent Strategies. Jonathan comes from a strong background of generosity, and you can tell it overflows into every area of his life. He has a passion for using his company as a catalyst for generosity. Stay tuned to hear what he has to share. Before we get started, I just wanted to ask one big favor of you guys right now. If you've been listening to the show for some time and want to support what we're doing, One very easy and free way to do that is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just write whatever you like about the show, and you'll help others find us. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get to the interview. All right, here we are with Jonathan Reynolds. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you guys. So why don't you kick us off just telling us a little bit about your own story and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So you'll pick up pretty quickly. I'm not an American by upbringing or by birth. I'm British, grew up in the UK, moved to the States back in, I don't know, 1998, coming on 24 years ago. As a end of my teen years, I grew up in a faith-fueled kingdom home, amazing parents, but I just wanted to escape. I wanted to escape from anyone who knew my last name or anyone who knew my parents. I'm the youngest of five kids. And I thought, I've got to get to America. And I found this Christian missions organization slash discipleship program in Texas, where I ended up for a couple of years. And there's a youth missions organization there. It was awesome. It was great. Nobody knew me. And I got to really walk out my faith journey without anyone going, ah, oh, you know, this is the way your parents would want that type of thing. So yeah, that's what got me to the States. I ended up moving to Wisconsin where I met my wife at a church that her parents planted many years prior to that in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And yeah, I was there, there, met my wife. We've been married for the last close to 20 years. And yeah, go to the, so I've always been in environments where people are passionate, kingdom, Jesus loving disciples. My parents were set a great path for us early years, all of my siblings really that our lives are about hastening his return. Everything we do should just live to hasten his return, whether that be whatever. If you want to go down the academic route and use your gifts that way, if you want to go into business or creative space, whatever you do, just do it for the glory of God and live in such a way to hasten his return. So they set great paths for that. My parents, are, they're wild. My parents are, everything on their wedding registry was stuff that could fit in one of those old VW vans. They said, we don't need anything. We just need to go and preach the gospel. If it can fit in a VW van, we're game. We're going to go and live in <laughs> Afghanistan and we're going to go and see the kingdom advance there. And God, I clearly had a different path for them. They raised all their kids in the UK. But once we'd all moved out of the house, they were like, all right, we're leaving. So they lived in Afghanistan for going on two decades now, and they're still there. So wow. wild as that would seem, doing some amazing things, which I probably won't get into here, but... I think just from an early age, kind of the seed that was put in each of me and my siblings was at all costs, go, you know, whatever it takes, go. 
It's not about generating wealth or even legacy or generational wealth. They were just kind of like live off of 10% if you can, give the rest and go for it. So <laughs> looking back now, I hope my parents don't listen to this, but looking back now, I'm like, wow, it would be kind of nice if they knew their grandkids, but they're not really around for those things. They're not really around for the kind of ups and downs of life when you wish your parents were around. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain level of like, well, which one would I rather? I'd rather the course for my kids to see actually let me just be clear, though. I don't think radical kingdom living is living in the ends of the earth. I'm not saying that. It's being obedient to whatever God's created you to do and using all the stewardship of resources that he's been given you to please him and honor him. And they're doing what they believe to be right. It's just hard for those around them like me. So, yeah, that's a little bit of background. I didn't really get into what I do, but, hey, that's a little bit of a history. Yeah, well, that's a great segue right into my next question, which is, what is it that you do? And I guess the big question is why? Yeah, good. From a, when I mentioned kind of joining this not-for-profit Christian missions organization, part of the deal was they gave you a job assignment there. My job assignment was working in the kitchens as a pot washer at like five o'clock in the morning, getting everything ready for breakfast. And I was like, why am I here? You know, my parents were like, well, it's like Joseph, you know, you're in a prison. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I hate this. My mind was like, I'm better than this. Like, surely you can use my skills and my amazing talents better than this. But it was like God was just doing this little process on me, just getting me ready for a life of sacrifice. They eventually moved me out into this department, which is in recruitment, like recruiting people to this not-for-profit. And I got into this thing, I thought, I love people, and I love being like helping them and helping them on their life journey. And this is really cool. After then, when I moved to Wisconsin, I found myself going to college and to pay my way. I was a resident advisor, but I was also working in the admissions offices in recruitment. And so I was now in college recruiting. And then when I left there, I got into sales, and I realized I like sales, but I want to deal with people. I don't want to sell engineering products. I want to deal with people. And so I discovered this crazy industry where you can sell people legally. It's called recruitment <laughs> and hiring. I was like, ah, oh, this is it. You know, I love this. And very, very short space into it, I realized it was the equivalent of used car sales. And I know that we all probably know somebody who's a great used car salesperson who does it with integrity and values. I get that. But the whole connotation of used car sales is you're doing something slimy and selfish and you're in it for you. What are you not telling me? That's very much the recruiting industry as well. And so I got into it. And I'm like, oh, this is a little bit slimy. And so I was sitting, coming out of the Great Recession, 2008, 2009, I was sitting with a company called Milwaukee Tool, the power tool company. And it was right there that I'm trying to sort of pitch them on these new services. I just joined another small company. I told them I could help them launch a recruiting division. Like, all of me, I'll do this single-handedly. And I'm desperately trying to get someone to say yes to our services. And that nobody wanted to spend money back there. It's huge, huge, high unemployment rate. And you could get candidates to sneeze and you got them. So here I am sitting there with the head of human resources at Milwaukee Tool. And they were like, Jonathan, we're not spending all these big commission fees that you want on this. And so right there and then, I just felt the Holy Spirit give me an idea, a different model, a different way of approaching this. And so I pitched it right there and then. And it really was a Holy Spirit idea that we kind of stumbled across and we launched right there and then. And I was working for another company. I was launching this little idea in there. I had one employee, one team member. We started building this life of its own. 
And fast forward a few years, great relationship with my boss's boss, who's the owner of the company. And we had this little subculture, sub thing going on in the company, whereas they did a whole bunch of other stuff, nothing to do with the people industry, recruitment and hiring and stuff. Can we launch this little new approach to things? It was a good idea. And it took on a life of its own. And then I went to my boss's boss and said, what's the exit strategy? He said, well, we're planning on selling the company year after next. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be sold. By that point, I had about 15 team members, employees. So I said to him, would you consider selling the division to me, the recruiting part of the house? By the way, I don't have any money, but uh, let's figure (laughs) it out. And so, yeah, fast forward a little bit. We worked really well together. And I think he was thinking, I thought we had a good thing going. And you want to just leave me? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Sell the rest of your business and then come over and come and work for me. Uh, No, I'm kidding. You know, some very, very humble, humble leader. He was a founder and president of his company. So we've just carried on working together in a great, great relationship. So I wouldn't typically call myself the founder of Titus Talent Strategies. I would say it was a God-given idea. And it so we started in another company and then we spun it off. And me and my boss's boss came over and he said, what, you want me to work for you? And I'm like, yeah, you always did anyway. You know, I was joking around <laughs> with him. You know. But we've got a great, great friendship. He's... 10, 12 years senior to me, is a great mentor, godly man, God-honoring man. The humility in him just was very attractive. I'm like, wow, this guy is really open-handed with this business, open-handed with the finances. In this, he's a CPA, former CFO, phenomenal when it comes to accounting and finances of a company and stewardship, but is not a greedy, you know, like, how much do we have? It's all the Lord's. And so I was like, oh, I can work with that. I said, there'll be somebody I'd want to run with. So, yeah, we've been going together for 12 years. Our company, Titus Talent Strategies, is in our seventh year right now. And, yeah, it's been wild. I didn't really explain what we do, but I can explain <laughs> I can explain that. But that's a little bit of how we launched. I'm not really the founder. It was definitely born out of a God-given idea, though. And God's favor has been on it tremendously. Even today, I was on a meeting with my business partner, Scott, and I'm sort of messaging him on the Zoom. And I'm like, I don't know how we'll pay for this. But it was to do with an idea of taking people on a journey of generosity. So I don't know how we'll pay for this. We'll figure it out. And he said, I'm not worried about that. The least of my worries, God will bless it when we are committed to generosity. And I was like, ah, I wrote back, brilliant answer. You know, usually I have to justify where the money is going to come from with him. (laughs) When it comes to generosity, he's like, don't worry about it. God will bless that. So, yeah, a little bit of the history of Titus. Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to come back to some of that in just a minute. Before we do, I wanted to take a step back. And I know you have a deep heart for generosity. I can already hear that through a lot of the story you've shared already. I was hoping you could take us to the beginning, how that kind of started, either in your upbringing or where God first kind of planted those seeds, and then how that has grown over the years, where God has taken that with you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think probably from the upbringing side is just the foundation of you're a steward. Right? Your money is not your own. You work your tail off. If you do something really, really, really good, it's still, and God blesses it, and the finances come, or you sell something and make a big profit. It's still not yours. God is the, he's the provider of it all. The minute we start thinking we did it and it's all ours or, you know, is my kind of windfall for me? What should I do with it all? You know, I think we can just get into this wrong place of, just pride and arrogance and ego. And I wouldn't say God doesn't bless that because you see it all over the time. <laughs> you see it through scripture, like, what? Why are the ungodly prospering? You know, it's not like a, you know, a certain formula. 
I see God blessing no matter what my attitude is, but I want to live in such a way, which is stop, just get my perspective right. God is the ultimate provider here, and he is the one I want to please, and I'm a steward of this resources. So, And I see that with people and finances. I think in a far more humbling way than finances is people, people entrusting their choices to you that you would lead them well. So I am immensely grateful for employees and team members who have options and choices of where they work and where they give their gifts and talents that they would sow them into our company. I you know, continuously humbled in that and it's been amazing. But the whole generosity thing, I think is just funny. Maybe let's take a different angle on this one. If I was an ungodly person who wasn't living for eternity, I would actually choose the generosity route as a strategic business position, I just mm-hmm. would. Because I think it is magnetic. I think it creates a far greater sense of unified meaning Right. than make as much money as you can and then exit your business. I was with somebody today and they said, listen, their whole goal is to help business owners get out of the business as fast as possible so they can follow their passions. And... I was hearing this, and this was a godly person talking to me, and I was thinking, that's an odd perspective to me. Like, let's get me out of my business as fast as I can so I can follow my passions. Like, albeit slap a little good, you know, Christian view on what those passions are. Like, but it, that seems like the same thing of when I make a few million, then I'll be generous. Right. Yeah. I want to hurry up to do this thing so that I can be, which I think. It starts way earlier than that. So, like, who are you today? Is generosity a part of your life today? Because it's it won't be later if it's not today. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> on April Fools, the one we just had to the company wide meeting we have every Friday morning, I said, "Hey, we just got together with the senior leadership team, the executive team, and we are so excited about the few years ahead." Because we are way ahead of our generosity goals as a company, which is true, by the way. And we have some big giving goals of why we exist. And I said, we were just looking at it and thinking, what amazing people we have. Rather than giving you the percentage bonus we've all agreed to, we decided, kind of like taxes in some way, we're going to take half of it away from you and automatically put it into our giving fund so that we can just (laughs) get there way, way faster. We know that that's your heart of generosity. And we get it. Some people are probably going to leave it. But we, the reality is we want those people to leave anyway. Because you want the really generous one. You know, just, and people are like, what am I? You're such an April Fool's. <laughs> you know. But I'm like, kidding aside, you know, like, and I would never do that, by the way. But that sense of like, <laughs> how do I today help everything we do have this leaning and a bent towards, like, generosity? Like, mm-hmm. how do we impact communities for the greater good? Call it kingdom or not. And obviously, from my worldview, as I'm coming from a kingdom perspective, I see his righteousness, peace, his joy in every area of people's lives. And I want to see that happen. But I can take an ungodly person on a journey of generosity as well, where their eyes are open to the needs of those around me, whether it be the bagger at the uh, grocery store, just to pause and honor the fact that somebody's there helping and serving you, albeit to get paid minimum wage. But what can you do to live a life of generosity right there and there? Or you go on, you know, we take this trip for our whole company to go down to, last one we did was down in Mexico. We built homes down there. It took them on this journey of eye-popping, like, what the heck? You know, they were so overwhelmed by how 
lavish they live. No, no, not the people in Mexico. How lavish our team members live here in the U.S., our employees. Mm -hmm. And they were overwhelmed by that themselves, and it caused them to go, oh, how do I live a generous life? Which I think that's a privilege as well. That excites me. I I could just go, oh, I want to make as much money as I can, sell the company as fast as I possibly can, because then I'd have all this money that I can be generous with. Or I could not think like that at all and think, hey, stick in this for longer. I have far greater impact if I've got 500 employees doing that. Well, I could take 500 employees on that journey where their lives are actually changed and it's through generosity. As you all know, when you are generous, it actually opens your heart up for God to do something in your heart. That's why Jesus talks so much about money. It connects that to the things of the heart and shows us what's going on. So, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if I'm even answering any questions here. <laughs> but it's uh, that's a little bit of kind of the story and heart of her generosity and it's a strange thing to talk about generosity because, you know, not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. <laughs> do I tell people or do I not tell people? Yeah, you know? yeah. But I think if it's a spark to other people, that's why I'm on here right now today. When you, you say, hey, it will spark some other people in generosity. I'm like, okay, well, that's worth it then. And for that reason is why I probably want to more likely stay in the business world to take people on a journey with me than get out as fast as I possibly can to follow my passions, you know, quote, unquote. Well, what if my passion is being a steward to what God's already put on my plate? Yeah, I love the perspective of spending your time as wisely as you would the money that you're stewarding and to not view your life as I have to get past the working phase so that I can fill in the blank. And that realization has massive implications. The earlier you learn it, the more you can kind of reframe your perspective on work as a whole. And you mentioned some really cool ways that you've been able to integrate some of your values and some biblical values into Titus. And it seems to be contagious across your employees and really working for Titus. I'm curious if you could share any other ways that you've been able to integrate biblical values and generosity, either with your employees and your company or with the people that you come across in the business world. So, yeah, this is something I find I find this whole thing, just the people industry, really fascinating. That's probably why I'm in the talent space. Sometimes people say to me, like, oh, you're in the talent space. You're like dealing with actors and things like that. I'm like, no, no, actors and models. No, I wish. They're not that good looking, honestly, most of our people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. They're like us. They're like us. (laughs) Yeah, they're like us normal people. (laughs) But no, in the talent space, I feel like I am in the space of dispatching superheroes, though. They're an amazing, amazing group of people we have. We hired about additional, close to 100 people last year just to join our team, salary team members. So we're growing really, really fast. We'll probably blow through that number again this year just to meet our goals of our partners and clients that we're serving. So some of the rhythms from day one, we said, you know, as a company launching, we said from day one, we want to give from them every penny we make. Even during the pandemic, when the bottom fell out of most of our businesses, the first reaction was, how do we make sure we're still hitting our giving goals? That was great as well to talk that through with the executive team and the business owners and saying, hey, how do we make sure we don't miss our giving goals? Well, one of the ways we do that is motivate our people and we'll let them know, hey, we're still going to bonus you this year because we understand it's really, really tough. So we'll do everything we can to make sure you guys get bonuses and the other people who get bonuses are giving, impacting communities and taking care of the needs of those around us. So one of the things which we did, well, we say we put our people first. It's kind of our decision tree of how we make decisions at our company. People come first, our employees, that is. 
Second is our partners, which is what we call our customers, our partners. And then profits come third, always in that order. Those are the way we make our decisions or the lens in which we look through people, then partners, then profits. But we said we'll always be profitable, just to be clear. We are a for-profit business. We don't get to exist if there are no profits. And if there are no partners or customers, then there are no profits and there are no people. So they all work hand in hand, but those are, that's the lens in which we're going to see. Meaning our number one goal in doing this is not for profits. But generosity is our big sort of 10-year target, that we want to impact communities for the greater good. And our outstanding people will wow our partners and in turn bring healthy profits for reinvesting in our people and communities. Our big goal is 30 million by 2030 that we want to hit. And we're ahead of plan, which is cool. One of the things we do every year is big company gathering. And we have a theme in order of those things. So people, so we just really, really invest in our people, nothing about the business. And we bring in leaders and speakers and invest, invest, invest in our people. Then the next year, it's all about our partner journey. And then the third year, the year of profits, one of the things we do is we take everybody on our journey of generosity. So the last one, as I mentioned, we went down with Youth with a Mission and Homes of Hope in Ensenada, Mexico. We built homes down there and it was, it was awesome. Our team members were just eye-poppingly excited. One of the things down there, they were like, why do these families don't seem more thankful? They don't seem very thankful. And so they asked the translators, they said, well, they come from a culture of distrust. They don't trust the government. They don't trust anyone around. You're offering them this building this house. But the deal is they had to get a mortgage on the land. And the mortgage is 18% interest. It's an absolute death trap. They're never going to get out of it. And if one of the spouse misses a week of work because of sickness, then the bank will come sweeping in and repossess the land if they don't pay their mortgage. And now you've just built them a home on it. If they repossess the land... That beautiful home is now owned by the bank and the bank didn't even pay for it. So our team members were like, well, what can we do to help them pay the mortgage off? And so it was our team members. It wasn't me. Our team members said, well, how much is their mortgage? What if we can like send around the hat? We can do this thing. And it wasn't like send around the hat like 100 bucks. It was send around the tens of thousands of dollars. And each of the teams, I threw it out and said, hey, listen, great idea. You got 24 hours to give to our giving fund. You get in there and we'll pay off these families' mortgages as much as we can. And they wiped three families' mortgages off like within wow. 24 hours. Wow. And um, I saw the people, people giving thousands of dollars, like literally. I'm like, I'm seeing the stuff coming through on my phone. I'm like, this is awesome. I didn't give to it. Like, <laughs> we already paid for the houses and put the whole trip on, right? So I'm just like, oh, I want to see you guys do this. It wasn't a challenge. It was a total free will, no obligation. They loved it so much. And it definitely opened up their hearts just to the Lord and his call on people's lives as well, which is cool. We're going again next year as a company. And I think we'll, I don't know if we'll do the same place every three years, but it's definitely people have heard about it. It's on our website. It's a kind of our culture video. Like This is what we're really about. You know, you'd have no clue what we do. People are like, I want to join this company. I think they build houses in Mexico. Like, no, we don't. <laughs> That's not what we do. Uh, but I want people to get gripped by it. I mean, I, we literally, we use it hard for as a recruiting video. I remember I reached out to somebody on LinkedIn. I said, hey, you know, we'd love to chat with you if you'd be open to exploring a career move. And they wrote back and said, no, I'm really happy. Thanks. I said, okay. I looked in their profile. I'm like, this person's got some compassion. I said, here's this video. Grab a tissue box. Pause the video as soon as you need the tissues and then we'll chat. Four minutes in, like, all right, you have me a tissue. All right, let's talk to you about this job, you know. And they did come and join us. But I think it's one of these things of like taking people on this journey of generosity that says we exist for something far greater than profits. And we exist for something far greater than just being a job. And we exist for something far greater than even like, you know, making an impact with the work we do. It's 
we're a profitable company and we take those profits and we do something wild with them. And kind of the concept of goodness will follow. That goodness will follow us as we do business. And I really want that to be said of anyone who interacts with us. That, oh, man, it's just when I do business with any of your people, just goodness is around. It's just good to do business with you. And I just think, oh, that's awesome. That's what I want to live in that spot. I'll tell you one more thing as well. One of our vice presidents came, and you probably get this a lot of business owners around them. You fall in this trap here in the US of your number one clients and customers, and you've got to kind of wine them and dine them and show them how valuable they are. I had one of our executives came to me and said, Hey, so we've got this client, they're one of our top clients, they want Super Bowl tickets. And everything in me was like, I'll give you Super Bowl tickets, you know, thanks for your business, but you're not a Super Bowl ticket. But very quickly, it just sort of came out. I said, no, nah, we're not doing that. That doesn't align with our value system. I was like, he can buy his own Super Bowl tickets. <laughs> and I was like, plus, I don't think he's actually paying our bills. I think his company is, and he's not the owner, you know. I went, so why should he get Super Bowl? Yeah, all of those things in my head, I'm like, eh, don't like to do that. I said, I'll tell you what we will do. We'll take him on a journey of generosity. And the exec goes, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm going to make him laugh. I'm going to make him cry. I'm going to make him sweat. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we're taking him to Mexico, baby. We're going to go build some houses. And this whole kind of thing just hit me. I'm like, yes, that's how I'm going to reward him. I'm going to reward him in a way that's right to the edge of eternity. I can't make that decision. But I'll take you to the edge of desperation and recognizing that there's meaning beyond yourself. This generosity journey is going to cause your heart and eyes to open. And that's what I'm praying. So we, we, I mean, I just had a meeting today, if anyone is, and my company don't know we're doing this, but I guess some people who listen to this will know before our team members do. But <laughs> what we're going to do, rather, you know, we're going to take the company conferences as normal, but separate than that, I'm, gonna, I'm starting this year in the fall, we're going to do a once a year trip for some of our select partners or customers with a plus one. So they can bring a kid with them or a spouse or somebody in their company if they want. And that's all intentional. I want them to experience something of a journey. It's emotional, sweat, everything, you know, and go physically with us. So we're going to go and do a trip down to Ensenada, Mexico, and we'll take, I don't know how many we'll take, some of our team leaders and some of our customers and clients, and we'll take them down on this journey. And I'm pumped with it, you know. Remember what I said about, I think even if I wasn't a believer, I think this is a very strategic business initiative to actually take people on a journey of generosity, which I 100% believe. You just think about the impact of this. My intention here is this. Yes, I take you on a journey of generosity. Yes, I take you to go meet the needs of those in extreme poverty, which Jesus talked plenty about. (laughs) Go down for the poor and the needy and the widows and the orphans. Go do that. I'm like, cool, that's true religion. Let's go. And so we'll go and do that. And I am fully aware that it'll be very, very difficult for those customers to ever leave us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. I was there when Titus Talent took me on this journey and showed me something far greater than them being my talent strategy partner, helping with my teams and all that. They get this stuff, but they do it for something far greater. And I was emotionally there. And I was there with my daughter, who's 13 years old, and we're painting this house. We're putting up walls and putting shingles on the roof. And, oh, she was crying. I was crying. We handed the keys to this family for the very first time. And I was there with Titus Allen's strategy. Like, I'm doing it as a business thing, okay? But my point is this. I'm just saying it isn't just this, like, oh, it's just a, it's afterthought of what we do with our finances to write a check and it makes us feel good. There's an actual business 
decision, a strategic business decision behind it, which actually takes people somewhere on a journey which is unlocking something in them. It's emotional for them. It's going to cost them something. We're opening up a bank account in a couple of weeks' time for our team members to start putting money aside. They can do payroll deductions if they want to pay for the mortgages of the houses that we're going to build next year. I want them to start thinking about it now rather than in the moment, knee-jerk, because we're going to build 10 houses next time we go, not three. So I need them to start thinking about it now. And I'm sure that that number will double when we're down there because it will be emotional. But yeah, I think there's such an opportunity where we can look at our business and say, how do I use this in a greater way that takes people on a journey of generosity? And most of the time, they won't even know the impact, but the recipients are being transformed. And then sometimes it catches up with your people later on going, wow, that was amazing. And that did change my perspective on something. So, Yeah, it's so fun to hear you talk about how ingrained generosity is in the whole culture from the very framework of your company. So I'm thinking of, you know, people who might be listening who do have some kind of leadership role, either leadership or owning their own company and are listening to this and just thinking, I want that. And that's not how things are right now. Where would you start in starting to develop that kind of an atmosphere, that kind of a culture at your work? Well, I haven't thought about this. I don't know the right, there's, here's the right answer, but if I was being asked that question by a friend, I'd be like, dude, just take your leadership team. You've got a leadership team or executive team or your partners, however you're structured there. Maybe you've got a few business partners and you've got their significant other or spouses. Start there. If you can, like, I don't have a huge budget for this. Well, just take them on a journey. Take them on to do something that's sacrificial, that's doing something that's going to cost them. Maybe start with your executives who more than likely have the most excess of wealth and get them to go, wow, that felt really good. And that cost me some time. It cost me some finances. It cost me some energy. And just say, hey, we're going to go and do X. I mean, I love Homes of Hope down in Mexico. They built over 7,000 homes. And literally in two days, you build a house with 25 people. So I'm like, that's awesome. You pay for the house. You show up. They take care of everything else. They know exactly how to do everything. You get told what to do. And you look at the end and you hand these family some keys and it transformed their life forever. I love it because I don't have to think too much about it. I just show up and it's awesome. Okay. Great team building. You take 25 people from your company or maybe that's too much. You join one of our trips. I think doing something like that, even making some of your executive team just pay for it. You pay for yourself. You pay for you and your family. Bring your kids or whatever. And the bug will get in with your leaders and they'll be like, oh my gosh, we need to take our teams on this. You know, we need to take more people on this trip. Pretty much everyone who from our company went on the trip. They said, can we do this again, but bring our families? Because it's contagious. Like generosity is contagious. You want, it's like the most amazing experience. You want other people to experience it too. And so you're like, ah, who are the people I love? I want them to experience this amazing feeling of sacrifice, of generosity and giving. And so I think you start with your leaders get them on it and start adjusting the trajectory of the company of why you do what you do. One of the things that we did as well, which is, this is a funny thing. We do these quarterly surveys that go out and one of the weakest areas in our company, and we can never seem to move the needle on this is, do I find meaning, personal meaning in the work I do every single day? We have really high you know, engagement as a company, but that was the one weakest one all the time. I'm like, golly, how do I get this up, you know? And so I'm thinking, for me, I'm like, I love doing what I do. I'm like, because of the generosity, I think it's amazing we get to do that. I'm thinking, yeah, but I get to 
sort of write the checks or send the money. And I get to go on some of these trips. Not everyone does all the time. And I'm like, well, maybe we just take these things to them. So we literally hired Titus Creative, videography team, basically, to capture stories of greater meaning. And we just call it the giving journal, like you'd write in a journal. We're just going to start documenting our giving, which is, again, a bit of a wrestle, right? Like, don't, you know, don't you want to keep that private? And I'm like, no, for the sake of our people, sake of our teams, I want them to know what we're doing together, for them to feel that the work they do on a day-to-day basis has a greater level of meaning because of the impact. So, yeah, we call them the giving journal. We just started in the last you know, couple of months here, but we're just going to do, you know, one or two videos a month. They're just going to tell some stories of greater meaning. And yeah, I charged our creative team. I said, you know, that's the, the scene at the end of Elf, the movie, when they're, they're trying to get the reindeer to fly and the thing to come off. And they're trying to get the meaningometer thing going out or the beliefometer. Right, right. Like, oh, people just need to believe. You know, and they're like, come on. So they're singing Christmas carols and stuff like that to get the beliefometer <laughs> going up. And I'm like, that's what I want. So listen, I'm going to measure your success on this. If by the end of this year, people in our company feel a greater sense of meaning in what we do every single day, that they recognize the direct impact of their work on changing and transforming communities for the greater good, that would be worth it to me. And so as a business owner, I think a lot of what we do is not completely pure from the, oh, I just really, really care about generosity. No, it's a business decision. I got a business angle on this one. Now, it doesn't take away any of the heart motive. I believe it's a God-given principle that it is contagious. And I think uh, the people are created for generosity. It's sin that causes them to be stingy. But I think in original intention from God's creation and God's order is that we would be selfless, generous, thoughtful, kind beings. And the seed of selfishness got in there. And so when we bring people back into They're like, huh, something about this feels right. This is good. This is good, you know? You mentioned earlier that you have a NCF giving fund through your company. And maybe you could just talk through a little bit of the logistics, how you decided to do that and how that kind of works, you know, in in your company culture. Yeah, so we're not a faith-fueled Christian company, quote-unquote. People often ask me, things like that. And I'm like, no, I don't think there's any such thing as a Christian company. At the end of our days, the company won't have to stand before God, every individual will. And so you can certainly run your business on principles, biblical principles, which I think many principles that we live by would be rooted in biblical principles. But certainly from the outside, most people would not have any clue of that. But when we decided early on that we just want to be committed to generosity and we just said, listen, we're not just going to write checks to random organizations. Our team members need to be involved in them. So we'll give to anything that our team members are involved with. So if they find out that there's some need out there, I'm like, great, as long as you're involved in it, that's cool with me. And because, again, it's that time that I want you to be actively hands and feet involved. So that was one of our criteria. And then obviously being a disciple of Jesus, I wanted to make sure that we were good stewards and honoring him with the, how we gave and what we gave to which is an incredibly sensitive topic. And I think this, most business owners will be feeling the pressure from all of the narrative that's going on out there right now and just the culture that we live in here in the U.S. of just the pressure to conform to a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's going on. So I, think, I was like, well, I like NCF. I like that they have the guiding principles as long as it honors the sanctity of life, life and marriage. We're on board with that. 
And so it's a great way to administratively handle it without dealing with all these, you know, giving receipts and things like that. Sort of administrative, that was really, really helpful as a small startup. So there was just some practicalities there, which, yeah, has been really helpful. It's been really helpful. So we chose to do it that way. Well, Jonathan, it sounds like rooting a lot of the decisions that you make in people and in generosity has had some incredible impacts both inside of and outside of Titus. But I imagine you've experienced and overcome some challenges along the way. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that. So, yeah, I think as a business owner, it's kind of like everything that's left over is the business owners, right? In many ways, obviously you pay taxes and stuff, things like that. You want to build equity in your business, but you're going to get the leftovers. That's how kind of business ownership works. Now, if you make a declaration and say, hey, we're going to give X percentage of our percentages to transform communities for the greater good. There's an expectation in which people go, hey, I'm a part of that deal. I like that. I choose to be part of your company because I know that you're committed to this generosity. And you've just made declared that if I'm passionate about it, you're going to give to it. Now, there's this other filter, which I didn't ever mention to anyone, which is that whole like kind of leftover thing. All of it, 100% of it, I believe, because of my worldview, is I believe that I have to be a steward of this and give an account for how I've led this group of people and how I've managed the finances and the resources that have been given to us. So that's what I do. That's my world. Now, because my worldview, I fear God in an awe and honoring way, you need to respect the fact that that's my worldview. So, and ultimately, as CEO and founder, would you agree that this is actually mine, not yours? You know, yes, I agree with that. I very rarely am pulling rank and saying it's all mine. No, I'm not doing that. But I'm just saying I have to live according to my convictions. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. Okay. So there are some things because of my convictions I don't personally want to give to. Now, you want to give to it. And once I have sent the money from my bank account to your bank account, if you want to go and get absolutely trashed on the weekends and any day of the week for that matter, <laughs> if you want to go and do drugs, whether they're legal or, or illegal, or you want to go and spend your money on things that I think would be ungodly and lack integrity and unethical and things like that, I'm not actually invading into your world telling you how to do that. But while it's mine to give, I get to choose what I give it to. And that conversation right there is really, really hard. <laughs> Even though I think it's really logical, but it's a really, really hard conversation now because of the amount of pressure to be all-inclusive, everyone and every way of life and what everyone wants to do, you just have to put the smile on your face supposedly and go, oh, that's okay. You know, like, no, for me, it's not okay. And therefore, for my finances, it's not okay. But one of them is, we have this policy, which you use Titus's money as if it was your own, like when you're on company trips and things like that. And then we have a little kind of, unless you're really bad with money. And if that's the case, talk to your manager. You, know? you don't know how to use our money. <laughs> and then one of the policies is you can never leave a company event. Like you should never be intoxicated. Now, I'm coming from the angle of this. I think you shouldn't be intoxicated because I don't think it leads to good, wise decisions. Personally, I'm going to come from Ephesians where it says, don't get drunk on wine, but we continue to deal with the Holy Spirit. But it'd be wrong for me to put that law on somebody who doesn't proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, right? So I'm like, well, you're clearly you're allowed to do that, but not with my money. <laughs> you know, so I can say, not with my money. So any of our company events, we might even have an open bar, 
but it's a very clear kind of standard of like, listen, we are not going to get intoxicated. This is not like a big party fest. Because it would lead to things, the Bible talks about drunkenness and debauchery and orgies of the like. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that because I think it's going to actually mess with your whole working environment here. We don't want to do that. But it's weird that I say, listen, you can't spend money to go and get drunk. But the second I pay you, in your paycheck, you are allowed with your own money on your own time. It's a little bit strange. And so I had to try and get my head around that recently. Like, while it's my money, quote unquote, I'm not going to spend it that way. But when it's your money, you can do whatever you want because I don't control you and you've got to do your own convictions. But these are some wrestles that I have, and I don't really know the answer to them. Hopefully some of your listeners do. They've got some great wisdom for me, and you can reach out to me or any of you guys. It is something which I personally have to wrestle through with the Word, with the Holy Spirit, praying and going, God, I need your wisdom on this, because I do want to be a good steward of what God's given us, time, resources, people, and finances. And to me, it has not seemed that clear, but I just got to go, Lord, help me to number my days well and my finances well and the decisions I make in this business well when there is so much pressure from the world to act and behave in a certain way that I might not want to behave. So how do I deal with that? Have a clear conscience before God. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And it goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier on in the show about how one of the greatest things you can do is to try to encourage that infectious, contagious generosity by involving as many people as you can. And for you, that's through your company and, you know, with hundreds of employees, that's a lot of people that you're impacting and wrapping them up into the story of generosity. And then there's the side of, you know, you could go all the way to an extreme and really define exactly what that should look like or the other extreme of not being involved at all. And you're basically talking about trying to walk that line of how do you do things in a corporate group setting while also still kind of being, you know, ultimately responsible to God for what you're doing. I would imagine any time, and this is through the dawn of time, like anyone who stands up for, especially within Christianity and those who are disciples of Jesus, like the amount of sort of pressure and persecution, et cetera, it's kind of, wow, how come every other group is totally well accepted except, except us? You know, we stand up for what's true. It's going, you're a bigot. You know, I'm like, what? You know, so this whole kind of when you stand up for this conviction, this suddenly big pressure comes. And somebody in our organization, somebody in our organization, we just forwarded them a message and just say, hey, you requested to give to that organization. And we did. Cool. Here it is. That's how much we gave. Thanks so much. They wrote back and we're like, hey, thanks for this. What is this whole thing of where you send the money from? Because I did some research into this, and I don't like some of the things that that organization stands for, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, geez, man, we can, we can be a little bit wiser on this one. So I, <laughs> hey, when we communicate with our team members of, that we've given money to this organization, can we scrub this and let's come up with our own logos as well? I don't want to highlight and cause division and cause friction where there doesn't need to be. And so there's just that other side of being wise and being gentle and not just highlighting Here's all the things we don't stand for. No, here's what we do stand for. We stand for generosity. We stand for things that you're involved with. We stand for this. And we also have a couple of criteria that we have to stick to because of who administrates our funds. And these are the criteria, which that's very contentious. So how do you navigate some of those things? So those are the things that, yeah, I think as we keep growing as a business, 
heck, man, if you want to grow as a business, if you want to grow your business and you're going to grow numerically by people in your business, it means there's going to be a lot more problems. <laughs> there's going to be a lot more challenges. If you have any initiative to grow in diversity, equity, and inclusion, which we do as a company, and hey, I had to wrestle with the scripture and say, what do I mean by this? What is our declaration as a company that I asked everybody to get on board with? And I had plenty of people in our company that were like, what are you doing? Why are you bringing highlights to these things? You know? And I'm like, because I believe I have to have a conviction on this stuff and what it looks like in business. And so I wrote it through and said, here's where we're going as a company. And then I regretted it. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, what have I done? You know, <laughs> now there's a committee for this. And I'm like, I don't want committees. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be pushed against the wall with my own words. But I was actually, I was okay with all of my words. But then how does that get outworked with, for me, as a disciple of Jesus? What does that look like? What does that really look like? What does it look like for our finances, our time, and our recruitment and hiring practices? Because all of it comes into the stewardship and generosity for me. And I know even saying it right now, the words coming out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, my gosh, am I inviting some conflict that I don't really want to deal with? I hope not. I do welcome this conversation. I find it very humbled by these things. Because it all comes down to whether it be financial generosity, time generosity, sweat generosity, where you're going to be traveling and doing something. All of those things. You've got to come from a conviction of why am I doing this? And is this pleasing to the Lord or not? Jonathan, I'm really curious, as you've been talking, I've been thinking of, you told that story about when you were in Mexico and the group came up with this idea to pay off these mortgages and they gave out of their own bank accounts to make this happen for these families. But then there's this other side of Titus is giving away money that maybe wasn't part of payroll anyway. And that's fun to be a participant in and it's fun to have that culture, but ultimately, it's Titus, it's you that are kind of orchestrating that effort. And I'm curious for employees, whether at Titus or at any company anywhere, how do you encourage generosity in a way that it's those salary dollars that end up in the employees' bank accounts that employees are actually being generous with the dollars that they are stewarding? Have you found any strategies? Is it modeling it well? Is it creating the culture have you found anything that's helping people to be personally generous? Other than what I described earlier, which you just referenced, is the getting the team members as we were on our trip to pay off the, or to give to pay off the family's mortgages on their land, which was very contagious. People wanted to give and they wanted to continue giving. And I've not found something on a regular basis other than just starting to talk about things that we're giving to and who's requesting, you know, so team members, we kind of highlight and spotlight team members like, Hey, so, and so this is a story this week on our company meeting about Mike, who is doing something with make a wish. He's involved with make a wish foundation. Titus matched every penny that he raised. And here's the story, Mike, take it away. You know, and then Mike tells a story about, ah, oh, we're, we're working with this kid, blah, blah, blah. And I was just so thankful. I raised X amount of dollars. And Titus matched it, and it was so cool. Look at this life changing here, you know. And that's that. That also causes contagiousness, which I think that was cool. One of the things which I've seen done is that kind of employer employer matching. So if you give to a not for profit, five hundred one c three, then the employer matches it. And I look at a lot of these big companies do this, like not from a godly perspective, massive, massive, fortune five hundred, one fortune one hundred companies do it. And I'm thinking, oh, that's really cool. 
you know, let's say you're a tithing follower of Jesus and you're like, hey, I'm tithing off you, gross off the net, whatever you want to do. And you automatically do that and your company's matching it. I think, wow, that's so cool. Give it to your church or whatever it is. I thought this question, I think, well, I don't know if we could even do that. Well, what if everyone suddenly said, <laughs> you know, like, ah, oh, it made me nervous that we wouldn't actually be able to do that. The other question is like, what are they giving to? <laughs> and <Yeah>. then <laughs> maybe I'm overthinking this, you know, like, well, I don't want to give to that. I don't, as I've already ex- expressed, I mean, there's certain things of like this stewardship angle, which I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. We do this thing of when we want something from our clients, maybe we want a testimonial, or we want to interview them about something. Hey, could you tell us how we're doing this here? In exchange for your time, we will give X amount of dollars to a not-for-profit of your choice. This is a way of showing them that we appreciate them, but without giving to them because people don't want to be bribed by that. But they go, oh, well, that's really cool. You gave to a not-for-profit. I like, you know. And then every now and again, they, you know, you get the response of the not-for-profit that they like, and you're like, it's not that I don't like it. I just think it's just awful, you know. I don't want to give to that. And suddenly now what do you do? <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. I send back your, you know, I take the whole deal back. and like, oh, gosh, help me, Lord. And I remember just sitting talking to one of the other believers in our company. I'm like, hey, what do I do? What do I do? Like, here's my, I'm saying I'm a steward here of God's finances to advance his kingdom. And it's like, can his kingdom be advanced if I give that? Or am I actually undermining everything that we're about? You know, something the real wrestles. And, and how I handle that situation, because I'm sure somebody listening is thinking, well, what did you do then? You know? <laughs> everyone wants the dirt, everyone wants the dirt, don't they? But I was like, what I did was I went through this organization's website and I was like, found something that I agreed with. And I said, I'd specifically like to give to this on behalf of this person and this company. And then I, and I said, hey, just you, know, I gave to the organization specifically for this one thing. I don't know if that was good enough, but I went to a place of peace and I said, God, please cause this money to be used for your good and for the good of these people that I'm sowing into and not for advancing anything that's undermining your kingdom. And I trust God can do it because plenty of time he uses terrible situations and turns them for the good. So I'm sure some listeners will be like, I can't believe you did that, Jonathan. You're a terrible person. <laughs> but I don't care. You know, I do care. But I want to walk in the clear conscience as best I can. I think there's sometimes there's very gray situations which we have to navigate through with humility and desperation for God. And we may not always do it perfectly right. And something might backfire. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we always love to ask all these questions of, you know, give us the blanket rules for how to handle this situation in all contexts. And, all you know, we're always asking these kind of questions. But I think what you're describing is exactly how God meant us to walk through life is not yeah. to just follow the list of rules that he laid out, <laughs> but to be constantly bringing things before him, humbly yeah. recognizing that we are broken. We don't always know the right path and asking him right. to walk with us through it. I think he is all about the journey of us walking with him. And if you are living on the edge enough and pushing it enough, then you're going to constantly be in those kind of situations. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. I know that this isn't a finance or a generosity or anything like that, but it's kind of one of the, I remember hearing somebody speaking one time, and they, they were like, yeah, we just got run preaching the gospel of some African tribe and village. And the tribal chief gave his life to the Lord along with his six wives. And we're all like, huh? <laughs> like, now what happens? You know, like, um, like, the good news has come. And like, what, you get divorced? What is going on here? I was like, you know, 
I have a question. How did you handle that situation? You know, it's like, you know, good question. We just need to do best we can with what we have. And the only scripture we really felt was to enforce that an elder should be the husband of but one wife. Yeah, so you just can't be an elder in the household of faith. And I was like, so you can still have his six wives. You just can't be an elder in the church. So he's the tribal chief, but not, wow, that's weird and very complex. And wow, you know, but yeah, it's like, yeah. it was one of those things just to remind me is not always cookie cutter. I don't know if that's the right answer. I don't know if that's the right answer, but I think each one of us approach different situations. And the point is we must be led by the Holy Spirit and with a fear and honor of God, our King, and saying, King, what do you want me to do with this? Like you've entrusted it to me, time, materials, finances, people, and I want to do my best and it may not be the same as somebody else does it, but at least you're actually pausing to honor God. Well, Jonathan, I had one more question for you. What do you see coming next for yourself, for Titus, and what are you excited about coming up on the horizon? Yeah, I live kind of in the three years down the road in my role in the company. I'm always kind of saying, where do we need to be in 30, what will 36 months down the road look like? And I often imagine it in people, I think, through this lens of who's doing what, how many people do we have? I'm constantly kind of helping our team members be inspired about growth. I love growth. I have to keep it in check, making sure that I don't want to grow because it kind of makes you feel like I've accomplished something because I know that that doesn't always mean growth doesn't mean you're accomplishing something. At, at the end of the day, you need to be faithful to what God's given us. But I am excited about growth, and I do believe he wants us to grow our business. And we've seen pretty much doubled every year the company has. And at some point you think, is that even possible to keep doing again? So we said, all right, we'll double in the next three years then. But I think it's going to be two, you know, <laughs> for the rate we're going. So I'm really thankful for that. I feel really humbled by God's favor and blessing on our business. When I look at the days ahead and the years ahead, I'm just constantly looking at ways to take people, I would say on a journey of generosity, but taking them out of their comfort zones a little bit, take them onto this place and plane where I remember one of the guys, when we bring our company together at the very end, we always hand around the microphone and let everybody, everybody who wants to share, just share what they've gained from the time together, two or three days. And was one guy big burly six and a half foot dude and he's just like i'm not a religious guy he goes but coming on this trip i just feel that like, god's after me and this has opened my eyes to just new things i never even th- would have thought but i'm thankful to be here you know it's kind of like, and i'm like i don't know man i'd pay a lot of money for that you know <laughs> i'm like yeah. how do we create more moments of that like, not that it always has to be like kind of the classic you know teenager on a missions trip that suddenly comes back wrecked and they're like everybody needs to go on a mission trip why are you doing this why are you doing this with your life i don't mean like that but every bring lasting transformation of a journey where people's hearts are open to the king and so that's some of the stuff i'm looking at in our business and how do i do that in a way which is and constantly under fire and pressure of just the world that we're in right now everyone it seems that it seems that every angle somebody wants to stop the wonderful purity of what we're doing and calling it wrong. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to growth. I'm looking forward to growth and seeing God's favor in our business. And the growth brings greater wealth for reinvesting in people and transforming communities. So yeah, people joke in our company. I've always said that we're looking on the news for the next natural disaster. So I can take a team of people to go and <laughs> be, be a part of helping, but I kind of have that kind of thing in there. I would love to have a team in our business. Literally that's what they do. We call it the Titus Catalyst Fund. So the catalyst 
is designed to bring generation and regeneration to things that are dead or to bring life to what's already going and cause exponential growth. I would love to have a team in the coming years that that's what they do. They plan trips for us, for our team members to go on, on journeys of generosity, bringing hope and healing and peace to the world. But hey, we're not a faith-based organization, but what if we could do it? It'd be kind of cool. So yeah. That's awesome. I'm excited to see what God has in store for you guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. As we get to the end of the show here, I did want to leave a second for our manager minute. As we are seeking to manage God's wealth wisely, we like to end every episode with one practical action our listeners can take to do just that. So Jonathan, do you have a quick suggestion for how people can be using any financial margin they have to serve their communities, advance the gospel, or build God's kingdom? Sitting here with you gents, I'm thinking about this for the very first time, going, huh, I don't have a suggestion for everybody else, but I have an idea for me, (laughs) which is I live in this kind of a constant, you know, 25 ideas a day and one of them or half of one of them is good. (laughs) One of these things that we talk about is in hiring, like nobody in their right mind quits their job and comes and joins another company unless they believe it's going to be better for them. Okay. And we talk about A players make career moves very differently than B's and C players. So we say when an A player, somebody who's going to come in and crush every performance objective, they're going to align with your company's values and they're going to be dialed into where you're going over the next 36 months. That's what we call an A player. Okay. So we've had a platform. It's called Manage for Performance or M4P.app. Okay. That wasn't a shameless plug. Well, kind of, but it is a plug for our, our people management platform. Okay. One of the things that we talk about in there is every single person in your organization needs to know what's next. Like they need to be thinking about what am I growing? What am I being developed for? What am I being stretched for, for the next role? Because we hope it's with us. We don't want you to go somewhere else. We hope you stay with our company. So unless you're going off to do some other passion project that you believe you're supposed to do. I'm just hearing today, kind of a manager minute would be to tie into our platform a something that we're capturing about generosity. How can I help you in your journey of generosity? That's something around that that's just tying in this sense of, am I giving you my time, my skills, my finances? I'll figure out and wordsmith the wording there. But this sense of a journey of generosity, how do we embed it into every individual's quarterly conversations, which are formal conversations around where am I going and growing? Because I think growing in generosity, if we can just get people to start thinking like, yeah, I can be doing this, I can do this, so that we're able to help them on that journey. So my commitment is this. I will update our tool and our app, which uh, I don't know, we probably have 15,000 teams will be using it by the end of this year around the country. Just put this thing of growing in generosity and the journey of generosity in our app so that people can be start capturing that journey. So thank you. You helped me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, really anybody can be doing that. I think that's a great point is, you know, where do I want God to be stretching me in my own journey of generosity? What do I want to be able to do? What do I hope God stretches me into in the next three years? You know, and I think there can be a lot of interesting answers to that question. Wait one second. I don't know where this fits and you can edit the crap out of this, but <laughs> we just moved from San Diego, California to west of Chicago, Illinois. One of the things that we've often done, my wife and I, is when she says something like, I'd really like a new couch, or I'd really like this new table or dining room table or something. It, the We've trained ourselves in a, well, we have to buy somebody else a couch first. You know, 
Like, if that's what we want for ourselves, let's find somebody in need. Now, usually the couch for us is way nicer. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> but it's thinking, of, <laughs> it's thinking of somebody else. Like, how can we bless somebody else who would love a new couch, but they can't afford one? So, because we just said, we like a new couch, and we're going to go and buy a new couch, and we didn't think twice about it. So how about we buy somebody a couch first? It just helps us remember that one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me, that kind of sense of it's not just for me, for me, for me. Yeah, I like that. I've never heard that one. That's a great yeah. idea. And it really helps kind of just keep you checked and balanced in everything that yeah. you're doing. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate your story, how God has worked through you, and how he has really turned Titus into an awesome catalyst of generosity. And we're excited to see what he has in store in the future. Oh, me too. Me too. Thanks so much for inviting me in tonight. Yeah, I look forward to hearing more of your speakers on this great podcast. So thank you for doing what you're doing. You are a catalyst yourselves and a spark for people to live a life of generosity. So thank you for all you're doing. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now a quick question for you. And now a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who's living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we'd love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. Just a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you could connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge through our website at finishlinepledge.com or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. And finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 44. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.